Welcome to the Landscaping Podcast. My name is Joel Barnett and I'm your host. And today's episode, I'm talking with Nick Rickard from She Oak Design. Uh, Nick is a designer based in the, on the Mornington Peninsula in Melbourne and also added regenerative property maintenance to his list of services that he offers. And in this chat, Nick will talk about uh, part of the reasons why he likes to um, do that type of maintenance and uh, he doesn't have sustainable in his business name because he wants to not necessarily sustain the landscape or or soil works or whatever they're working on but he actually wants to improve things as well so got a good got a pretty good mindset based around that and he's also got a similar point of view to biodiversity is what Petty Donegan does with in terms of not sort of having a big bright sign saying this garden is biodiverse but just by you know incorporating it into a normal landscape design um, and not necessarily using purely indigenous plants, but just the plants that work to create habitat for animals and insects and various fauna. And he's also passionate about soil as well. So he talks about how he'd like to get involved in the landscape design process earlier so that we can work with architects and builders in possibly reusing or you know, improving the soil rather than just digging it all out and bringing in new stuff and nick is also the co-host of the australian gardening podcast with liam daly and i was fortunate enough to be a guest on there and that's I'll, they're on a bit of a spell at the moment while liam moved but it's a, an awesome podcast to go back and listen to and hopefully they come back out with some more episodes shortly um, but here is one with nick so hopefully you enjoy this chat with nick ricard nick thank you very much for joining us on the landscaping podcast my first question for you is how did you start in the industry Thanks very much for having me, Joel. It's been a long journey. So after I finished school, I, like uh, a lot of young teenagers, wanted to make it in the music industry. But obviously, you need to have an income to fund, you know, touring, buying instruments and that sort of thing. So I always remember my dad being in the garden when I was younger and I thought, oh, I may as well (laughs) get a career in that sort of industry so i applied for jobs at nurseries at the time just sort of laboring and then worked in dispatch for a, a little bit so i was in that industry for about three years and then met my wife or wife to be while i was working there and we got married and decided to travel uh for a year and then i came back and felt like i still wanted to stay in the industry i loved working outdoors and i guess I, I think I was attracted to the landscape industry because of the variety initially. You know, most companies at the time were they weren't just doing one particular thing. And so I pursued a um a couple of companies to get an apprenticeship and ended up working for Indigenous Gardens, which is down on the Mornington Peninsula. So I was working for them for three and a half years until I finished my apprenticeship. And then like most people, figure if you want to make some money in this industry, you've kind of got to go out on your own usually. (laughs) Um, So I managed to get a contract with a foreshore on the peninsula for maintaining basically six kilometres of foreshore. So they they hired me for two to three days a week. And I thought that that's a, it's pretty good to have guaranteed work for three days a week. So that's when I sort of jumped ship and went out on my own. And what sort of um, instrument were you playing when you when you're at school? 
Uh, I was a drummer initially, but um, I feel like a, the stories of a lot of bands is no one can sing. So you figure out who in the band has a, a reasonable voice and can keep keep a decent pitch. So I ended up becoming the singer for a little oh. bit, which is <laughs> I'm not very comfortable up front, but yeah, it's sort of what I, I did for a little bit. So yeah, do you still do anything musically now? I I dabble a little bit myself. I don't know if anything's good enough to release. <laughs> I just sort of trying to enjoy the process. I, I think I, I relate this to my career as well. I struggle with the journey component of, of creating either a design or a song. It's like I'm always trying to get to that end result. But now as time's gone on and I'm getting older, I, I'm enjoying the process and just appreciating appreciating that and it doesn't matter too much what the end result is. So. Yep. Yeah. And we, and with working for was it Indigenous Design that you worked for first, or was it a different company called Indigenous Gardens? Okay. Yeah, and working for them was that a specific thing you, that you wanted to work for them because they were doing Indigenous Gardens, or you just that was just available? And then is that yeah, where your passion for it started? To be honest, I didn't. I I'd heard of the word before, but I didn't quite understand. I guess what it meant. So I just yeah was drawn to that company. I met the owner, Phil Birchall, and he was a decent guy and, and seemed to have a real heart to teach people that were working for his company. So, yeah, I jumped in there. They sort of focused a lot more on the soft landscaping side of things. Looking back, I probably should have maybe worked for a couple of, couple of companies before going out on my own to get a bit of experience in the hard landscapes as well. But, yeah, it's easy in hindsight. Yeah, I reckon a lot of people say that though, but um, yeah, that you're never going to learn everything before you go out on your own anyway. So no matter yeah. if you did go and do that, there's still stuff that you could have learned before going out going out on your own. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, and then when you uh, were working for that for the council, was it? So were you doing other bits on the side on the other two days a week? Uh, eventually, so I was actually working for the foreshore committee. Oh, okay. So they would apply for grants from uh, council, and you'd sort of get bursts of money, and you had you'd have to spend it by <laughs> a certain amount of time. So often, I felt like a lot of money would just get frittered away and spent on work that really didn't have an impact because a lot of the work was around trying to eradicate weeds and stabilize the the banks from erosion and that sort of thing. But to answer your question, I sort of started to meet people in the community and sort of through word of mouth, I was able to get other jobs doing maintenance. I thought initially I was going to build a maintenance business and it's sort of as time progressed, someone asked you, oh, can you build this retaining wall or can you do this paving and sort of the jobs expand from there and, yeah, so it sort of morphed into more construction from there. And is that where, was the business called Share Design from the start? She oak landscape ma- maintenance, which is yeah, a bit wordy into she oak sustainable landscapes, which is again a bit wordy, and then into she oak design. Yeah. So where did the uh so did you where the design start from? Like where did you- uh I was probably two and a half to three years through my apprenticeship, where I guess I I was a mature aged apprentice i was 22 23 when i started 
So I just thought I, I really need to learn as much as I can. So I enrolled at Swinburne for in the sustainable landscape design course. It's actually, I was doing it with Ross Ubergay. I think that's how you pronounce his last name. Yeah. So we we're in the same year level and that most of that was virtual. And then every probably twice a month, you'd go into the, uh, the TAFE to do face to face classes. So. Yeah. And then, so what did, when did you start doing designs for yourself? Did, did they just come along, you know, gradually when you were doing the construction and, and maintenance? Yeah. So I, initially I never charged for designs. It, it sort of was just, you know, I was hoping if I gave a bit of a design, they would use my services to actually implement, which worked out okay, but you, you tend to spend quite a bit of time on design. So I realised you've got to charge even just a little bit for it so they, they value your time. And I just, I realised pretty early that I, I'm not great at multitasking. So it's, that's sort of why I ended up moving into just doing design. I was like, when you're designing, project managing, looking after staff it just you know some people are great at that that's not my skill set so uh, well you are a male so that, that makes sense. yeah <laughs> anything more yeah. than one thing at a time well i think i hear most landscape companies that do well they they have their partners often yeah doing yeah. a lot of the work in the yeah. background so so how many staff did you have at the most when you were, were working i had two full-time and th- three laborers uh-huh. um at one stage so yeah it was, it was good fun we're sort of churning through the the jobs but i just yeah it was too much for me to <laughs> i'm i'm a slow thinker and like to to process things slowly and it's like when things are just hectic and there's so much going on you can just get overwhelmed quite quite easily so. yeah well there's plenty of things that change in a landscape build so then if you've got four people standing there staring at you waiting to make a decision yeah 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 challenging and it's sort of like I never had this experience of managing staff before, so you're sort of figuring it out how to motivate them. You know, you if you can give them responsibility, and you know sometimes it doesn't work, and you've got to learn the lesson the hard way. So. Yep. And then, have you ever had any design? I've employed any designers that you since you moved solely to design. Ah, uh, no, that's that's one of the things I was sort of hoping that the business would grow organically where I'd meet other designers. But I, I seem to have met other designers which are doing the same thing that I'm doing, just going solo. And that can work, but you, I feel like you need to build a team where you can outsource, whether it's the 3D renderings or various components so that you can uh, do a project at, at a reasonable pace. Otherwise, if you're doing everything, it can take quite a while. Mm. Yeah, especially because you want to be able to say yes to clients. You don't want to say, oh, you have to wait six weeks before you start your design. You kind of want to take it on. But then you're yeah. working on multiple designs at the same time. So one's going yeah. to do nothing. So, yeah, it can be good if you can have that someone else working on that ticking along. Yeah, that's, that's right. I, I've tried to keep it fairly low-key where I'm only working on a couple of designs at one time. Otherwise, you just get yeah pulled in too many directions. So. And has it been a challenge having to work out how to charge enough for clients seeing how you were coming from not charging anything initially when you were doing construction initially yeah um i guess what's what's helped me i've read quite a few books on on sales over the years which is 
I guess, given me the confidence to, well, I guess the key point is they said the sales game is it, it's, you've got to be playful with it. So you've got to set, you know, gauge where your clients are at and, and try and be bold and confident at times. And if it doesn't work, you negotiate with them from there. So I've over the years sort of slowly increased and I've been shocked at what some people willing to play, pay for a design and how quickly they'll just say, yeah, that's, that's, that's fine. We'll go ahead with that. So yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> That's right. But sometimes you underestimate what's involved. You think you're charging a lot and then yeah. you start sinking your teeth in it and you're like, oh, there's a lot of detail in here. So, yeah. 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 I think I find when you're charging more, you like, you might think, oh, well, that's a lot that they've agreed to pay. But then you, you subconsciously put in more effort to it and more detail and you, you want, you give them more than what you would have if they had paid less anyway. So, luckily, they yeah, definitely get, get what they pay for. I've actually had a epiphany recently that I I think my ideal market is sort of in the middle class where it's not these designs where there's just so much detail and you have to really spend a lot of time doing it. It's, you know, they're great and there's some architecture firms that do that really well and there's a team of people doing it. But I think when it, working by myself, it's sort of better that middle of the range where you're charging a fair price for what you're the service you're providing. And then I, I like being involved after as well, if I can yeah. um, as well, where I, I found with the jobs where I'm charging a lot more, they don't tend to get you involved. It's after, I, I don't know if that's normal. They sort of just pay for the design and then it's the landscaper's job after that to implement. So. Yeah, yeah, I've seen uh, a lot of the really expensive designs, like over twenty grand for the design, and yeah. some of the detail in it is amazing, but it's also irrelevant. Like it's not there. Was, we didn't need to use a lot of the details that it provided. So yeah, like yes, you're getting a lot of detail, but do you need? To, it's like a lot of things you could you could have a car with a million different things and all these fancy bits and pieces, but you don't. Do you really need them all? Yeah, well, I figured because I I don't have a background in construction, I've I've got a bit of an idea how things are put together, but I think ultimately if you engage the right contractor, you know, they they know best. Mm. <laughs> so it's great if you've got that collaboration of design. This is the sort of aesthetic I'm trying to create. And then as far as how it's put together, you know, give that to the landscaper and allow them to exercise their profession. Yep. Yeah, it's no different to a landscaper a builder saying how something should be designed. That's not their area of expertise. So, yeah, like you know, they'll know a little bit about it, but a yeah. designer or architect is going to go know a hell of a lot more and a, and a bigger picture yeah. as well. Yeah, and I think yeah. it just takes a bit a bit of humility each way. Yeah, <laughs> you know, don't feel threatened if the builder gives some design advice if it's a good idea. You know, yeah. go with it. So. Yeah, you can listen to it, and like maybe ninety percent of the time that they're going to be wrong, but ten percent they might have a good mm. idea. So. You don't, you don't yeah, have to take right. everything on board, but you want to listen to everything. Yeah, definitely. So have you got a team of landscapers who you recommend? Because a, a lot of the time when we get designs, they want us to build it as well. Um, so because a lot of people like only deal with the one person. So have you got a team who you work with who you recommend and, and they know your style? Uh, I, I try to, but at the moment, a lot of the landscapers have booked up for, you know, mm. well well over six months, if, if not a year. And most of the time, once you've finished a design, they're wanting to implement straight away. So yeah, it's I've been trying to connect with 
more landscapers like this there's a, a lot of landscapers out there yeah. so it's just building those relationships and you know give some of the smaller companies a go on the smaller jobs and, and see how they go and yeah yeah i think that, it, it's yeah something i'm looking to do at the moment because of that is work with other landscapers as well so it's yeah so, we're, so we'll it's almost like separating the design side of the business from the construction so yeah if we can build it we will but a lot of the times the clients don't want to wait 12 months for us to get to it so then yeah. I'll I'll find other landscapers who I know could do work do who I know do good work and yeah. get them to quota and I'll be like you as well because I want to be involved with it to see see it get built so mm. whether that's something I need to add in to the to the design or just wear it until I realize I don't want to do it anymore and then yeah yeah and then just palm them off but um but yeah it's good to have a team of of landscapers and also garden maintenance teams who you can refer work to so that yeah everyone knows yeah, each other's style and what each other likes yeah yeah definitely it's um something i saw on your instagram page which i was curious about was uh another company you got or another page called mobot yeah it's... tell me about that <laughs> so uh i'm friends with tim from radar landscapes it was his baby to begin with so oh. the idea is a subscription-based robotic mowing service yeah. uh, where people pay a monthly fee and we install a, a robotic mower on site it's basically to kind of targeting those that either have holiday homes or don't really want to think about their lawns or how to figure out how to use a robotic mower so we install it on site if anything goes wrong we get the notification turn up and and fix fix the issue change the blades do any maintenance over over the years but we've realized it's it can be a hard sell because obviously people can just go out and buy a machine themselves but we're, we're think at the moment going to partner it with a, a maintenance business as well so we're sort of trying to figure out a name at the moment for that business and going down the path of providing i guess regenerative agriculture principles in garden maintenance so mobot will will be a part of that service and it just means we can spend less time looking after the lawn and more time on the gardens um yeah yeah i love the idea what sort of what's a ballpark figure on the the monthly subscription for it uh it starts from 250 a month and goes up to 480 for the bigger machines which can sort yeah. of slash slash paddocks yeah as well so it's i think if if you calculate how much they would be paying for a contractor to come in i think it's you know quite similar at the end of the day so yep yep and they're good the robot lawnmowers are good because they are like cutting all the time so yeah it's not like, it's not like the grass is growing along and they're getting cut back it's actually just taken off the tip all the time so which is good yeah for, good for thickness of the grass as well yeah, definitely. And I was chatting to a client, they've got an issue with cape weed in their paddock. And so I'm saying if you're slashing that paddock every night, it doesn't give the chance for these weeds to to keep spreading so you mm. can keep them at bay. So Yep. Yeah. Uh, and you've also got the the podcast that you done that I was a well, fortunate to be a guest on with with Liam Daly. So where did the yeah. idea come from starting that? Uh, that that was Liam's idea. I, I'm good at jumping on board other people's ideas. <laughs> <laughs> so he started the podcast a while ago, which was under his old company name, 
Uh, I'm, to be honest, I'm not sure the difference between that podcast and this one, um, but he just had a rebrand and renamed it the Australian Garden Podcast. So the idea is, I guess, Sunday afternoon, slow chat with some of your mates and just sort of see where the conversation goes. So it is based loosely around gardening and native gardens specifically, but we're sort of wanting to explore, I guess, the philosophy of those we're we're chatting to and and get to know them as a a person as well a bit more. Uh, It kind of reminds me, I don't know if you know Joe Rogan's podcast where it's kind of he just chats to various personalities and it goes all over the place and then somehow it resolves at the end. Yeah. So that's kind of what we're trying to create. Yep. And you also do, I've heard you speak about whether you were going to do it, uh, a movie one where you talk like doing the top 100 movies or something like that? Yeah, that's another friend of mine who <laughs> he's very much into film, knows, I don't know, all all the names of these actors, but we're going through the AFI, which is the American Film Institute Top 100 Films of All Time, which I think the earliest film is like from 1992. So I think majority of them around the 1940s, 1950s. So we're we're five or six films in and it's it's a hard slog with some of them. Like we just watched Lawrence of Arabia, that's four hours long. And it's they're good. I I'm enjoying them because you have to slow down a lot compared to like your Marvel movies, which are just so intense, so much information and so much is going on at one time these movies are slow you sort of need to listen closely to the dialogue and to understand what's going on so i think i was saying to my friend they they tend to treat you with a bit more respect and intelligence they they trust that you can sort of listen to the dialogue and figure things out whereas a lot of modern movies that sort of just in your face it's up front what they're trying to say so yeah it's we're doing that uh at the moment once once a week we're trying to keep that consistent so yeah i love that idea and it's also it'd be interesting going back looking at, at watching old movies and, and like you like you've done there comparing them to the way things are done now yeah i i do think that art form has changed a lot and possibly for the worse i i don't know the art of telling a good story that can inspire people and and not be so black and white with characters like often in modern movies you've just got your villain and there's not a lot of complexity to them whereas i find in these older movies there's characters like gone with the wind i didn't really like the main characters at all like but then some people do like them because there's you know there's it's not black and white there's a lot of complexity to the the characters so yeah yeah. it feels like I don't know what it would have been like back in the day because I wasn't alive back then. But it feels like these days they make movies to make money. Like that's yeah, that's for sure. All, that's all it's for. So yeah, putting in all these things like they put in, they, they've got a, a list of things. Put in heaps of explosions that'll make money. Put in a love story that'll make money. Like they just yeah, that's the right. together. But it's not really a cohesive story. Yeah, yeah. Not much depth to it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, with your with your design side of things, what sort of like, do you find yourself having to knock back anyone because you're you've got more of the sort of native and indigenous style and sustainable style that you like? To be honest, I've I've tried to be quite flexible when it 
comes to design i haven't been so i I start when i did my apprenticeship i was probably a bit more gung-ho this is what i'm doing there's no sort of compromise but i think with anything as as you mature in life you sort of uh i don't know you show a bit more grace and compromise a bit with people and willing to work with them so i think my goal now is to not necessarily create a particular type of design but to maybe educate clients a little bit along the way so even if you plant you know a small seed that i'm happy with that so i i do tropical style gardens native style gardens um i i do enjoy the native and mediterranean style gardens probably more than any other but I, I feel like I attract a lot of clients which just want tropical <laughs> gardens. Yeah. I think mainly because they go on Pinterest, they see a lot of designs from New South Wales and Queensland, and they're like, I want that. So you've got to <laughs> try and make it work. Yeah, I've had, I reckon in the last two months, we've had three people wanting tropical des- des- gardens as well. And they wouldn't have yeah. been in the two years prior to that. Yeah. I think it's coming back in. Yeah, and it's. I think there are some plants that you can use that grow well down here that give that sort of feel. Now, often it's just dense planting, so yeah. you plant a lot closer than you normally would, and it gives that sort of lush feel. Yeah, I my last place was tropical, and there was there's heaps of plants you can have that like literally look tropical, not just yeah pretending to be, but like they're yeah uh, variegated shell ginger is one of the great ones. Yeah, that's uh, and then yeah. There's even in shade, you can have clavias, they've got the nice bright orange, yeah, orange flowers. So, yeah, there's so many plants, and even there's even some natives you can use, none that I put in, but got no yeah. doubt there'd be a lot of natives you could use in that situation, yeah, um, definitely. Yeah. But I like what you're doing with with not sort of forcing people to head down the path that, that you would like, but you can do things subtly uh, and just put yeah. things in that they're like they're not aware that it's a sustainable plant or it helps with. Yeah, the ecosystem of the of the garden, but you can just put that in as part of yeah. the design. So that's the best way to do it, anyway. I think. And I, I think so, as long as there's a lot of variety, I, I think part of the issue is when you're just creating a monoculture of yep. you know a handful of plants. That that's when you don't have the biodiversity. But if you've got a lot of variety, you've got plants which are providing flowers and and you know food for the bees and various insects um and coverage for birds i i think uh wildlife can adapt a little bit it doesn't have to necessarily be strictly native for them to thrive in that environment but a big sort of focus for me at the moment is focusing on the soil and and trying to make sure you get that right because ultimately that's that's your foundation if you if you don't address the soil first everything else is going to fail and that that can be a hard sell for clients because it's under the ground they don't see the work being done they're if they're trying to cut costs they'll often buy cheaper soil or or not do the work necessary to make sure there's good drainage and they they suffer long term uh, for making that decision. So Yeah, I just heard, uh, I think it was last week on the Australian Lawn Garden podcast, he had Craig Castry. So he's a um, okay. edible, edible gardens expert with 40 years experience, but he was talking, that was a fascinating episode. He was talking about yeah. um, like basically living soils 
and the, and the, the soil can be linked together over like kilometers so, and but then when you start digging it up that sort of breaks that up whereas um yeah the, and that's the the quality of the soil is more important than adding fertilizer as well so yeah yeah it was just fascinating hearing the amount of importance that the soil has in in new gardens definitely i was chatting with an arch- architect recently and seeing if there's the opportunity to create services where there's this collaboration from the start of landscape designer architect with the home architect so that you can talk about okay what's going on with the soil because often the site will get scraped or there's the good topsoil gets removed from the site and then you're having to bring the soil back in but if you can at least have that conversation at the start and saying all right what is the condition of this soil is there anything we can start doing to improve it or keep the good soil on site and then i think we we're going to ultimately get better results with the gardens long term because you're right we really don't understand the complexity that's in the soil and if we destroy it you've you've pretty much got to start again and it's a can be a long process so yeah yeah look i found that episode just absolutely fascinating and i learned probably yeah this like i'll say often you listen to a podcast and there might be 90 percent of things you or 95 percent you don't learn anything but the five percent you do but i reckon that episode was probably 40 percent stuff i was learning so yeah, there's so much information you can learn just about soil and the basics like that. Um, yeah. And I saw on your Instagram, your certainly your last few posts, you've been sort of educating people about design as well. So is that something you like doing, like educating people about design and soils and, and how to do things properly? Trying to, to. To be honest, I feel like with social media, I've been so reluctant to put myself out there as an expert. <laughs> so it's. I guess it's that idea once you put yourself out there you're open to criticism so it's maybe a bit bit too fragile and sensitive so but i'm i'm trying to do that a bit more and i think especially around uh soil health there needs to be a bridge between the sort of academic experts and the public so i think that's where i can potentially play a role is you know reading those books and listening to those podcasts and then trying to simplify it a bit so that you know the our clients and the public go oh there there is actually benefit in paying attention to the soil and long term this with the maintenance business i'm going to try and educate clients that put in the resources the the money and, and the effort to improve the soil over the long term rather than just try and sustain it i think that's where i wanted to get rid of the word sustainable in my business because we're not trying to just sustain where it's at we want to improve soil over the long term and regenerate it and if everyone's doing that we're if we you know sell our property we get we're giving that asset to someone else and it's hopefully they continue that on so yeah so to answer your question yeah i'm I'm going to try and educate people and just give little nuggets here and there so hopefully it makes a difference yeah, I think that's an awesome way that social media goes, like Instagram particularly. There's a lot of people who are wanting to learn, who go on there not only to look at nice pictures, but they like to learn things and learn the way people do things. So they might see yeah. you've done an amazing garden and you've got some plants that grow and look awesome and they want to work out how you got them to look as good as that because they don't look as good as theirs in their background. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. I've In the co- a course that I'm doing at the moment, they're talking about 
the various social media platforms and how to engage people on them. And Instagram seems to be the type of platform where it's not overly academic. So you've, you're, you're just trying to give those little bits of pieces here and there that they can think on. And over time, you can really steer them in the right direction rather than giving them this real academic <laughs> spiel. That must on... be why I like it so much. It's not yeah. academic. <laughs> the same. Yeah. That, is that is that a business coach course that you're doing? Like have you got a business coach or have used one in the past? Uh I've tried a few in the past, but to be honest, I don't think I've been in the right headspace. That's a pretty big that's an important part of it. So yeah, for sure. Yeah. Uh I it's no criticism of the content or anything like that. I've just wasn't ready to I guess make the changes that I need to. It's like I had to hit not necessarily rock bottom, but just realize that if I'm going to stay in business, I really need to make some changes. And that during COVID, I sort of, I don't know, struggled, lost my mojo quite a bit and struggled through there and came out thinking, what, what am I doing? What am I trying to create? And I, I really didn't have any idea of what direction I was heading in stumbled across this business mentoring course and it was just ticking the right boxes saying the right thing and so I've, i signed up a month ago and sort of have been starting to make changes in the business the way i interact on social media the way the systems and processes behind the scenes and i think because i'm working by myself i need these systems and processes functioning really well so that i can be as efficient as possible um you know when you don't have a team of people and you're doing everything (laughs) it's it's very hard to wear the different hats and and to make sure things flow yeah it helps keep you accountable as well so you've actually got something you've got something rigid to follow rather than just doing whatever you want because you can yeah that's right yeah and it was interesting hearing you say that you're like you struggled through COVID because, like a lot of people did, but I find, I'm finding that it seems to be the mo- the more creative people struggled more than than other people. Uh, and so I don't know, yeah, if that's because they need to sort of fuel their creativity by interacting with other people more in a natural way. But uh, but yeah, that's something I've been picking up on. Yeah, my, that's yeah, interesting. I think I, I don't want to get into the politics of it all, but that that had a big impact and just sapped a lot of my creativity like I thought during COVID would be a great time to write music but I didn't do any of that yeah <laughs> during COVID so it's interesting so I've yeah I, I think I've just allowed myself space to switch off from a lot of the noise since then and to just sort of recenter myself and and figure out sort of what I'm trying to create because often I've made the mistake in the past of being pulled in too many directions. It's like I'd say yes to everything and think I should be able to, you know, run a business, have this social life, go on holidays and do it all and it'd be fine, but I can't. Like I even <laughs> before COVID tried to run a music festival to to market my design business. And it's like how can I do that as a sole trader, run that and still do design and work? You didn't call it Fire yeah. Festival, did you? Fire Festival? Yeah, isn't that one that went real bad in, in the US? That was- oh, yes, no, no. <laughs> the festival was called Plant- Plantella. So. Oh, nice. 
<laughs> Did it happen? Yeah, I ran two physical ones and then uh-huh. one one virtually during COVID, which is a great experience, but my business suffered <laughs> quite a bit throughout it because it, it just sucks so much time and financial resources as well. And to sell the idea was a lot more difficult than I thought. I, I think I had a, a I have a romantic idea about business to how you you can just sell this attractive idea and people will just jump on board and go, yeah, that's that's great and fantastic and they'll just throw their money at you. But that's it's not <laughs> it's not the case. Yeah. I find the most annoying thing about business is money. Like there's a heaps of things I want to do. Everything, yeah, everything costs money and doesn't necessarily make it any. But but yeah, doing it. yeah. So that's that's where now going through this course, I'm trying to simplify things a lot more and and I guess find out at the core what is my business about and how you know what what is my message and what's the most effective way of communicating that long term. Yeah, so. yeah, and knowing that you can't do everything is a great way great place to start like i'll get people asking me how i do all the different things i do and mm. my answer is if i'm doing thing a i'm not, I'm not doing thing b or c well like something whenever you're doing yeah. one thing other things are suffering yeah so yeah you've either got to have systems in place or or just be aware that it's going to happen yeah well that's where i figured there's various things i want to do which i know require time and energy so i'm going to need a system of design that's going to be very efficient so that there's there's very few hurdles that i need to jump through to get a design finished so yeah yeah and can you see yourself putting employees on in the future probably not in design but in maintenance definitely so i'm at the moment just trying to figure out how design and and maintenance will work together i think maintenance i really want to be overseeing that so the idea is to come up with a property management plan that then i can pass on to employees and they can implement from there and then yeah design create the systems and the the processes to i i don't want cut and paste (laughs) designs but you know with with design there's there's similar things in a lot of projects that you're using so there's maybe a little bit of cut and paste but yeah yeah you sort of tailor it to the the specific site that you're working on yeah i often i used to think that there was uh it was a bad thing when i could tell a designer's garden even like i could look at it and tell who designed mm-hmm. it i used to think that yeah. was a bad thing it was actually a good thing because the client is picking them because they like their style so it's not yeah. the same thing but they're not going to pick um yeah if they see someone who's you know does native gardens and then you know they, they want a purely tropical one it doesn't make yeah. sense to choose that person you're better off choosing the right designer for that for that uh situation so yeah it's interesting i i haven't niched myself with the type of designs that i've done and i don't yeah. know if that's been to my own detriment or not and I'm wondering if you don't have a say particular design style, what what is the niche? Because there needs to be something that I think people recognise. I'm going to them for that particular reason. Yeah, it could just uh, be if just creating beautiful gardens. Your niche could be beautiful gardens. So if pe- yeah, if people because I'll have people message me saying that you know they love this the stuff we do on Instagram, 
I don't design all of it, but the, we don't yeah. design hardly any of it really at the moment. But um, but if they just see an overall beauty that you create, that's why they want to, could want to choose you. Whereas other other people it might be because they want a specific style that suits their house or or the garden. Yeah. That yeah, that's that's very important. I think what you just said about creating a garden that suits the house as well. I think it's it's hard if if you design native gardens and you've got someone with a home which clearly doesn't <laughs> suit that style. So if you if you're not pigeonholed in in a p- particular style, you can you know tailor it to the home. Yeah, which is important. So. It's more interesting as well, or not having a, a niche. Yeah. Well, that's that's the reason why I didn't niche. I di- I didn't want to restrict myself, and I, I'm still learning a lot about plants. And you know, I you go through phases where you like particular plants, then you move on to to new varieties as they you discover them. So yeah, yeah. And what sort of stuff do you do outside of work to keep yourself occupied? Outside of work, it's. I did think working for myself would allow a lot more freedom, but you tend to. I feel like you work more than what you would if you worked for a company. But I've, I've tried to restrict myself, so I usually don't work weekends. So I, I spend usually. a lot of. T- yeah, usually <laughs> I'll say I don't. <laughs> yeah, so I spend a lot of time with the family. We try and go camping. I'm I'm not a camper, but because it's it's budget friendly and gets the family outdoors i really see the um importance of spending as much time outside especially for kids you know i just i've got three kids and the two older ones when they're on devices or getting too much technology you can see them they just there's a burden upon them where they just feel de- seem to feel depressed and they're right. angry so you just get them outside get them moving their body and they they become a lot more cheerful and happy and just content <laughs> with the simple things in life. So yeah, yeah, I enjoy yeah be- going to the beach, going for walks. Um, during the winter, my wife and I have been trying to escape Victoria and, and go to somewhere warmer. So we went to Queensland last year. This year we went to Central Australia. So did lots of walks, which is great. Yeah, and then doing the simple things. Yeah, that's right. And then ch- I'm trying to keep music a part of my life and I enjoy that sort of creative process. And, yeah, I don't know if any music will see the light of day, but, yeah. Well, something I loved that you, you and Liam spoke about in your first episode of the podcast was the link between um, composing music and composing a landscape design. So can you just I'll touch on what you spoke about there and, and then- yeah um well i guess the the idea with music so the way i do it is you're layering so you're starting with the various instruments usually i'm my background's a drummer first so i'll start with a drum beat and then you build the bass guitar then piano or, or guitar whatever it is and then you create the melody with singing same with the garden you're sort of sort of layering it so it's for me i i do it in reverse start with the trees and then working my way down to the shrubs grasses and then ground covers from there so it it, it definitely is a similar sort of state of mind and in the creative process is yeah quite similar so and the last question for you nick is who do you think would be a good guest to have on the podcast 
I, does it have to be someone in the landscape industry or do you venture uh, no. out at all? No. I, I don't but, I don't I haven't got everyone on who's been recommended anyway. So if I think it's a terrible recommendation, I just won't contact them. But you, you could recommend yeah. them if you like. Yeah. Well at the moment I really I've been listening again to a book called The For Love For For the Love of Soil by Nicole Masters. And that's quite an academic book, but I think she does quite a good job of explaining it in fairly simple terms. But yeah, her story is quite fascinating. And another guy, Charles Massey, who's a regenerative uh, farmer up in, I think it's New South Wales or Queensland. He's got his own podcast as well, but I think he's a great communicator and he communicates in story, which I think a lot of people can engage with. So they're two people. I'd What's recommend. his podcast called? I think it's called the Regenerative Gardening uh farming podcast i think i'll I'll have to double check i'll send it to you your creative Um, name like mine yeah (laughs) (laughs) i I think simple's effective yeah it's clear if people see it they know what it's about exactly yeah Yeah, i do like it's uh yeah soil and regenerative regenerative gardens and um there's a word i I can't think of but um there's quite popular at the moment so there'd be a lot of people who would be interested to hear that side of things and and like i said i was fascinated by the the podcast where uh, the australian lord and garden one where he's talking about soil so I yeah people who would learn a lot by well, talking to those two people for sure and i actually if you go into the whole climate change debate i think this is the best solution that's out there which isn't getting enough attention at the moment because the whole idea is drawing the carbon back into the soil and it's i I feel like our politicians have all these grandiose ideas but often it's it's the simple less sexy options yeah which we should be paying attention and i think we just need more and more people talking about it so yeah Yeah, and if you get more people helping out with that it's going to make a bigger impact isn't it yeah that's right more yeah it's yes it's it's not a big um yeah switch that's going to make a big difference but just everyone do a little bits and pieces it'll make a big yeah that's right yeah and no one yeah no one makes a lot of money out of that so that's why they probably don't promote it yeah well i'm also trying to figure out a lot of that movement is in the farming space and i'm trying to figure out you know how how can we apply it to the landscape industry whether it's how we're growing plants you know how as landscapers we're sort of nurturing the soil or enhancing it when we install a garden so yeah, yeah. we did a job for someone who was who there i can't I, did, I didn't know exactly what they do but they um they were putting some amino acids on the plants and it was generally for agriculture there were certain mm. certain fertilizers they were doing yeah um, and they used they, like they're looking to go into res, the residential market but um, but they were so they were trying it on their own garden, and the, the garden was phenomenal, one of the best I've seen. Yeah, so amazing. It's, yeah. yeah, it makes a huge difference, and it, and yeah. it worked in both agricultural and residential. So, yeah, hell of a lot fantastic. to learn on that side of things. Yeah, fantastic. Uh, th- thank you so much for coming on, Nick. Absolutely loved chatting to you, loved listening to your podcast. Yeah, it was great fun. Thank you very much. Thanks, Joel. Take care.